Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today it's just you and me. I have a solo show prepared for you. And I'm going to be talking to you about sexual desire. And more specifically, I really hope to answer the question for you, is my sexual desire sinful? Now, I never in a million years thought that I would be talking to thousands and thousands of people on a weekly and monthly basis about purity culture, sex, desire, things like masturbation, and how that collides with our faith and experience of God. Honestly, if I had it my way, I would have gotten married at 21 years old, started popping out babies, and lived a quiet life. But here I am. I'm 35 years old. I am so single and still a virgin somehow, and living in New York City and writing a book called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And the more and more I have opened up to you here on this podcast, whether it was through my masturbation series in July or on Instagram stories, talking about purity culture and asking to hear your experience The more and more I've done this, the more passionate I become about really dismantling these shame-based sexual scripts and sexual narratives that so many of us experienced growing up in Western evangelical culture. And here's why I am passionate about it is I've kind of noticed there's two camps that happen is either... People are completely shut down to their sexual desire and sexuality, afraid of it, and want to be good little Christian boys and good little Christian girls. And so there's a complete shutdown and denial of sexuality desire. And then the other side of that I've noticed is a complete kind of screw it. I'm tired of feeling shame. I'm tired of the church telling me this narrative that is not working for me, so I'm going to do whatever, whenever, however I want it. And really what I've seen in those two narratives is really, I think they're two sides of the same coin because the church is saying to shut down your sexual desire. So by not making it a thing, they're making it the thing. So when we say, don't think about an elephant, don't think about an elephant, don't think about an elephant, 
What are you going to think about? All you're going to be thinking about is that damn elephant. And when you go to the other side of the spectrum there and say, I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want sexually, we are making sexuality and desire the core of our existence and experience. I think that the way of Jesus is kind of this third way. When Jesus was walking the earth, he would constantly dismantle the scripts of culture and the religious scripts as well. He would say, you may have heard it said this, but I say to you this. And so really my heart here isn't to completely bash the church, but it's to say we've got to do better and we've got to start talking about sexuality and desire in a more holistic way, in a way that is, as scripture says, to be rooted and grounded in love and not through fear mongering, not through shame narratives. And also God created us with a mind and intellect, which means it's important for us, for me to know what I believe and why. So me unpacking these questions, like, is my sexual desire sinful, is Hopefully me continuing a conversation that I have been in personally for the last 10 years now, but hopefully starting a conversation where we're normalizing topics like sex and desire, regardless of your relationship status, while also staying connected to our values, to scripture. So today... That's my little TED Talk before the TED Talk actually starts. And why I wanted to do this specific episode is because I went on a tangent on Instagram stories the other night because I saw a sermon by Mike Todd, and it was recently recorded with millions of views. And in this recording, he is talking about sexual purity and I'm just going to link it in the show notes. That's a whole different episode that I'm going to do later, dismantling shameful purity talks. But in it, I posted a question on IG stories saying, what did you learn about sex and desire from the church? And I got hundreds of responses. And here's a few. Vanessa says, it's all bad. So don't have a beautiful body or have sex because it will all be your fault. Caroline says, I didn't know that the church knew sex existed until last year. Brooke says it was wrong. Basically shut it down till marriage. And Stacy says, took me a year of marriage to fully enjoy sex because of the shame attached to pleasure. I read these and my heart broke, but it was like a breaking of knowing. I've heard all of those things. I have felt so many similar shame narratives. And I didn't grow up in the church, but I grew up in the South and Christianity in the South is the air that we breathed. And so I heard narratives in church culture and in Southern culture, like sexuality is for marriage only. And whenever sex or desire or anything was talked about in church, when I started going at the end of high school, It was like the pastors only addressed the men in the audience when they referred to any sort of conversation around desire or temptation. And so I thought, man, uh, I guess I'm wrong if I have sexual desire or am I weird if I have sexual desire? And because it was always talked about in a negative connotation or for marriage only, I felt like, man, 
I, I must not know much, but I know this, that sexual desire is sinful. I also felt as a woman that the weight of male quote unquote sexual purity was on my shoulders because the female body was bad. It was dirty. It was, my body was a temptation. So not only was I in charge of my own sexual purity, but then the weight of male purity was on my shoulders too. And it felt totally crippling. And so let's dive into that. Let's dive into some of these narratives because underneath all of that, there's a lot of questions, but we're just going to talk about the one today. Is my sexual desire sinful? I am so grateful for my friend Stephanie Mae Wilson and her heart to create content to help me walk into a place of God's presence with trust. She has a new prayer journal coming out. It's called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. It's perfect for any woman who is navigating any sort of uncertainty about her future. It's a prayer journal for seasons of waiting and uncertainty, times of transition, and making big decisions. So whether you're single, married, a stay-at-home mom, or career woman, or anywhere in between, this prayer journal is for you. And I cannot wait to share it with you. The Between Places Prayer Journal launched officially on August 17th, and you can pick up your copy at smaywilsonshop.com. Stephanie also created a special promo code just for the Refined Collective listeners. The code is REFINED, and it will take 15% off of your copy of The Between Places. So again, to pick up your copy, just head to smaywilsonshop.com and use promo code REFINED for 15% off. Where we're going to be anchored is in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Rob Bell says it this way in Sex God, you can't talk about sexuality without talking about how we were made, and that will inevitably lead you to who made us. At some point, you have to talk about God. Sex, God, they're connected, and they can't be separated. Where there is one, you will always find the other. So my first point here is that God is not afraid of sexuality. We see this begin from page one in the Bible. There is this rhythm of the creation account. It's, in my opinion, filled with this erotic language. So we have morning and night and day one, and it is good. And then God speaks and it is so, and it is good. And there is morning and night. We see this repetition 
over and over throughout the creation account. And we see that six days in a row. And then something happens. It's almost as if the climax of creation is the creation of humanity. Everything God says, it is so, it is good, it is the next day. But then with humanity, God says, I want to do something different. I want to make humanity in my image. The Hebrew there is almost like you're holding a mirror reflector. And as opposed to everything else in the creation account, God says humans are not just good. Humans are very good. And so like in sexual experiences, there is the rhythm, the rhythm, the repetition, and the climax. And so we see that rhythm and climax and expression from page one in Scripture. Then let's move on to Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. Y'all, Song of Solomon is so erotic and so in- intense that Hebrew boys were not allowed to read this book until they came of age because there were so many sexual innuendos in it. In fact, today, a lot of people like to teach Song of Solomon from the vantage point that it's just a metaphor for Jesus and the church. And this is completely dismissing the layered and blatant text. We see in Song of Solomon 113, the king says, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. I'm sorry, that was the queen to the king, not the king to the queen. In Song of Solomon 4.16, we see, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. All right, this woman is saying, come to my garden. What do we think she is referencing? She's referencing her vagina. She's referencing oral sex and saying, come and take feast. Be a, eat the choicest of fruits. And then Song of Solomon 5.1 says, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. So not only are they not hiding their desire for one another, they are owning it. They are taking responsibility over what they want. What I love so much about Song of Solomon is how much autonomy and agency both the king and his beloved has. She's able to say, this is how I want to experience you romantically. This is how I want to experience you sexually. There is so much freedom in the marriage bed between the king and his beloved. And there's no shame in it because even their friends know what's up. They're like, um, yes, eat, drink, be merry, and be drunk with love. And I know this is a little parentheses, but sometimes I wonder if Beyonce got her idea of her song, Drunk in Love, from Song of Solomon. I cannot prove that, but I'm not saying that it's not a possibility. So the Song of Songs is this beautiful account of sexuality and intimacy and desire. And the whole thing is God's idea, right? And then we see this language in the Psalms. Psalm 42, the psalmist cries out, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And again, in Psalm 63, one through eight, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Your love is better than life. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I cling to you. 
Talk about some hot and heavy, passionate language there, y'all. I pant, I long, I thirst, I remember, I cling. It reminds me of when I was dating this one guy and we were new into a relationship and I got home from a date and I was so crazy about this guy and just, you know, that the beginning of a relationship, just that giddiness. I laid there in bed and could not sleep because I was so giddy thinking about him, replaying the night, imagining what our next date would be like. I mean, I was a total goner. I was remembering him. My body was longing for him. I was thinking of him all night long. The psalmist here isn't talking about a woman he is pining after, but his relationship to God. When was the last time you cried out to God with such visceral language because your longing for him was so strong? We haven't even gotten through half of scripture or even to the New Testament, and yet I cannot help but see the precedence from the first page of Genesis 1 to the Song of Solomon to the Psalms, and I just see a God who is not shy or embarrassed or afraid of desire, of passionate language, of, dare I say, sexual or erotic language. I see a God who is comfortable in a conversation surrounding desire and sexuality. So there's a normalization then that can happen if God is not shy or embarrassed or afraid of desire and he created humanity to reflect who he is, then that means I don't have to be shy or embarrassed or afraid of desire or passionate language or even sexual language. So... Next, when we're talking about a conversation of sexual desire, let's get clear about what we're actually talking about. What is sexual desire? The best definition I have found for this is an author. Her name is Deborah Hirsch in her book, Redeeming Sex. She says, spirituality can be described as a vast longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to probe, and to understand our world. And beyond that, it is the inner compulsion to connect with the eternal other, which is God. Essentially, it is a longing to know and be known by God on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. This is why we are called to worship God with all that we are, mind, body, and soul. Now, sexuality, Hirsch says, can be described as the deep desire and longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to understand that which is other than ourselves. Essentially, it is a longing to know and be known by other people on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. It thus forms part of what it means to love others as we love ourselves from Mark 12, 29, and 31. Our deepest longings as human beings are to be in relationship with God and our neighbor. This really and simply is the human condition. So to kind of sum that up, spirituality is the human desire that we all have, that every single human has to connect outside of ourselves with a capital O other, with God, with the divine, with the eternal other, as Hirsch is saying. Our sexuality is the human desire that 
every single human being has to connect outside of ourselves, to connect outside of myself with lowercase other. So it's my desire to connect with people, to be in relationship with people, to be accepted, loved, known, seen, to laugh, to experience joy. And so within sexuality, there is sex and physical intimacy, but really it's so much bigger than that. And I think what can happen when we have a conversation about sexual desire is it can become flattened and one-dimensional and solely connected to physical acts of sexual expression. And I think that is cutting the story so short It's making it so small. And really, if sexuality is about our desire to connect outside of ourselves with lowercase o others, that's really good news as a single person, right? Because that means regardless of my relationship status, I can connect with my sexual desire because connecting with other people and being in relationship with other people is a beautiful and good thing. Also, a longing to have physical intimacy and sex is also a good and normal desire and thing. And really, when we're talking about sexual desire, for this reason, with the definition of spirituality and sexuality, this is why someone like Rob Bell says, we can't really talk about God if we're not willing to talk about sex. You can't have one without the other because one is a shadow of reflection of the other. So, That is what sexual desire is in this context. Now, there is a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex. Like I said, sexual desire is our desire to connect outside of ourselves. And a desire for sex is, I want to have sex right now. And so the main point here is having sexual desire and desire for sex is one of the most common human experiences. It's in fact, part of what it means to be human. Our sexuality is not who we are. Like I would say culture kind of tells us this narrative that our sexuality is the core of who we are. I don't believe that. I believe who we are is children of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 says, we are made in the image of God. The Latin call that imago Dei. The core of who I am, of who we are, is our connection to God. Now, our sexuality, our sexual desire, our desire for sex is a huge part of what it means to be human, but it's not the only part. And ultimately, our sexual desire is this shadow of our desire for God. And Deborah Hirsch later says in her book, the Hebrew word yada or to know is in fact used for both sexual intercourse as well as our relationship with God. So it refers to both sexual intimacy in the narrowest sense of the word, but also to our knowledge of God. So whether we wish to point to the fullness of sexuality, knowing others or the fullness of our spirituality, knowing God, yada is the word we're searching for. If you know anything about me, you know this. I love Beyonce, God, talking about dating and relationships, and I am obsessed with skincare. 
I started really taking care of my skin a few years ago. And I mean, really taking care of my skin. And now as a 35-year-old woman, the one thing I wish I would have known in my 20s about skincare is that it's never too early to start. One brand I've really come to appreciate is Beauty Bio. They have an incredible patented at-home microneedling tool called the Glow Pro. What they're passionate about in-office results at home and with accessible price points. Because as much as I love skincare, there's no way I can afford those $400 lotions and elixirs. The microneedling treatment helps create firm, smoother, younger-looking skin with tighter pores. And hello, who does not want tighter pores? Not only is it incredible for anti-aging and financially accessible, it also doesn't add hours onto your skin regimen. I'm all about function and efficiency, y'all, and in just 60 seconds a day, you'll see results. So go to beautybio.com and check out their Glow Pro microneedling regeneration tool and use TRC15 for 15% off your first order at checkout. That's beautybio.com and use TRC15 for 15% off your first order. All right, number three. Is our sexuality, is our sexual desire sinful? So, you know, we kind of unpacked up to this point what it means to be made in the image of God, that God is not afraid of sexual desire, that he is not afraid of sexual language. It's laced throughout all of scripture, and we've distinguished that sexuality is the desire for relationship with others and physical intimacy and sex is in that, but it's not all of it. And ultimately, all of that is a shadow, a reflection of our spirituality, which is our ultimate desire for God. And so now that we know that, now we can kind of answer that question, is my sexual desire sinful? I love how Matt Chandler puts it in his book, The Mingling of the Souls. He said, God put the penis on the man and he put the testicles on the man and he filled those testicles with sperm. He created all tissue, some that would expand, some that would secrete. He filled the man with testosterone to walk through all creation and name the animals to exercise God-given authority. When Adam was done with that, before sin entered the world, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I want to say it again. God's the one who created and wired this whole thing, Chandler says. In Genesis 2, sin hadn't even entered the world yet, and God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So he knocked him out, pulled out a rib, and shaped the woman. And as he shaped the woman differently, he gave her larger breasts, rounder hips, and a vagina. He filled the woman with a different hormone, estrogen. The woman's body was not the devil's idea. It was all God's doing. What we see from Genesis 1 is that God created humans holistically. We are holistic beings. Our sexuality and desire is not a surprise to God. It's not shameful or taboo. He's not like, wait, what happens when a guy gets turned on? Uh Uh-oh, system malfunction. He's not like, oh my gosh, that happens to a girl when she gets turned on? Ah, Let's not talk about this. This is so embarrassing. I made a mistake. No, God created the whole thing. And he didn't only just call it good. He called his creation very good. And in that, something about our sexuality and desire even reflects 
aspects of who God is. If we are those mirror reflectors, God didn't say, oh, your mind is very good. Your toes are very good. When you sing at this octave and when you read your Bible this many times or you have this sort of job, that's very good. God made humanity in his image and his likeness and said, it is very, very good. So that includes my sexual desire. So in closing, what I really wish is that I was sitting across from you on my couch and having a conversation. If you're like me and you heard a lot of damaging messages from the purity culture, from growing up in church culture, or perhaps you're like the friend of the quote that I read earlier in the episode, I didn't even know that the church knew anything about sex until last year. I just think God really wants to redeem this conversation. And it's it's just time. It's time that we know that our sexual desire is not bad or wrong or gross or dirty or shameful, but it's one of the most normal things about being human. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, the Greek word there is poema. We are literally the manifestation of God's creativity on this planet. God created and said and spoke forth and it was so, and he's choosing to manifest so much of his poema, his artistry through humanity, through you and through me. The reality is God doesn't make bad or gross or shameful things. All of who you are reflects the Genesis 1, Imago Dei, God image in you. All right. I know I covered a lot in a short amount of time, and this isn't one of those one and done conversations. And in fact, this topic is my sexual desire sinful is woven throughout my entire book, Sexless in the City. And I'm going to be talking about it more and more here on the podcast as the launch date approaches, which is still a ways off in April of 2021. But I don't want to leave you empty handed. So if you want to take this conversation further, go to episode 70 on the podcast with Dr. Celeste Holbrook. The topic for that conversation is purity culture, painful sex, and debunking shame narratives. And if you are like, great, well, it's great to know that my sexual desire isn't sinful, but sometimes we answer one question and then it gives us like 50,000 more questions. I hear you. I am with you. I have a course called How to Embrace Your Sexuality. It's on my website. You can go to bit.ly slash TRW embrace to go to the direct link, or you can just go to the refinedwoman.com, visit my shop, get access to it there. If you feel as though you need to process this and you have a lot more questions, I have a private Facebook group for single women of faith. Even if you're in a relationship, even if you're married, come join it. Come join the conversation. To get access to that, go to bit.ly slash TRW dash dating tips, and you'll get a free downloadable guide on six tips to activate your dating life, and you'll be invited to my private Facebook group. All in all, I hope that you hear 
that I am just another human on the journey with you and that I see you. And this is the first of many conversations on this. So if you like this conversation, my next solo show is going to be great. Now that I know my sexual desire isn't simple, how do I actually embrace my sexual desire? So I'll get really practical in that episode and walk you through really practical ways as a person of faith to embrace your sexual desire and your sexuality in ways that are honoring, where you are connected to yourself, to God, your values, all the things.